What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It is Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. So you know what that means. We have ditched the couch. We're grabbing the mics. We are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of audacity and advice. This is another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Good morning, Dr. Boca. Good morning, Rachel. Oh my God, were you just singing my name there? <laughs> it had like a little sing-song to Dr. it. Dr. Boca. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I wish my kids would do a sing-song when they called mom, but they wouldn't. But anyway. Oh my God. Well, we both talked in the past that of we know what we are and we certainly do know what we aren't the older we get, right? That is a true. A singer is not something that I am, although I would like to be. I maybe not even like a sing. Well, no, I take it back. I guess I would like to be a singer. You know, I've always loved my love of the theater and the arts. And whenever I'm seeing a show, which that actually hasn't been in quite some time, but I always get wrapped up in the back end of things, you know, like the company and mm-hmm. the orchestra and really? that they're all a community. Oh my God, always. And oh. I think, you know, we've talked so much about just bonding and being part of something and the connection that we all crave. And I think that kind of came out of when we were stuck inside with COVID that we were recognizing more and more how alone we felt as a result of not having that connection. And not that we're going to sit and talk about connection today, but yes, as a little girl, my memories of going to the theater or any type of leisure, I always was like jealous of the sense of camaraderie and companionship and teamwork and unity that I would see from an ensemble, I guess, if Mm -hmm. you will. And so singing, I don't know, that's kind of what what's stuck in my head. Anyway, moving on, that's well, I'm not a, where we're going. I'm a terrible singer, so we're not going to break into song here. But you okay. actually did say something that's so interesting um, about connection. And, you know, many weeks ago, we had the different attachment styles on our podcast. And people are still mm-hmm. talking about it. I bump into people and they're, they're t- oh, what kind of attachment style do yes. I have, right? The flip side of connection is a loss of connection or abandonment. Mm. And I think that that ties into a lot of the ways in which people relate to their their relationships, their children, their whatever, as we've talked about in the attachment podcast. So I just thought it was interesting that like on the heels of that, that connection came up to be a theme and it keeps emerging. And I always love to talk about what's the opposite of it is the abandonment. And we have a guest today who, you know, we talk about trauma, we talk about abandonment, and here is somebody who might be able to offer us some insight about connection and abandonment and the disconnect and the need for both. So just something interesting that came up, and I don't even think you meant to bring it up, but I had to make a point of that. So Dr. Boke, it's interesting that you were talking about trauma because one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit today on the heels, or maybe not on the heels, maybe on on the front end of having a guest is trauma in and of itself. You talked about attachment style. People are still reaching out to us relative to the podcast we did. The other podcast we did when we were talking about narcissism and Mm -hmm. how words like narcissism or like these buzzwords, right, are so wide 
widely applied and we're not really getting it right, so to speak, from a real clinical definition. And trauma in and of mm-hmm. itself is another one of these buzzwords that yep. we're using loosely. So I kind of started looking into it like, well, what exactly is trauma? And I know trauma is to some what it isn't to others, Correct. but I was actually listening to a a really well done podcast and we can link all this at the end, but it was two psychologists and they were talking about trauma. And in the simplest terms, it was interesting because Dr. A was saying to Dr. B that trauma is really when you're going through an experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's outmatched by the ability to cope, right? right? Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that the event is traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's how we handle or the lack thereof is how we define trauma. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it. They were using some examples. If you and I were, you know, out for a walk, let's say, and like, you know, a bear encountered us. Mm-hmm. Right? I was going, <laughs> like, right? I was thinking a car accident. Oh, okay. Well, see, that's so interesting that like, again, I'm not going to shrink your head, but you went to the car accident because maybe you've had quote unquote trauma in your life. I'm going to, well, gee, I don't know why I would be going to like a bear in the woods. That's not necessarily a trauma. Maybe I have some repressed trauma. I don't But the point being is that if you and I experience the same scenario at the same time, Mm -hmm. the way that you cope with it and the Mm -hmm. way that I cope with it could be completely different. So for you, it could be a traumatic experience. And to me, I could be like, hey, what the hell? We we just got eaten by a bear, but you know, no big whoop. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Which I'll get into some of the experiences as I started doing a little bit of research on this. I actually did unpack my own trauma that I don't think you and I have talked about. So we'll probably get into that a little bit. But without further ado, you know, let's introduce our guest today who is a friend of the show. And we love our friends of the show. And it really just does point to the feedback that we've gotten from friends of ours and listeners who have said, you know what, you know, I love this episode and here are the reasons why, or I didn't like this episode and here are the reasons why. And we do have a guest coming on today who is vulnerable enough to share some of her experiences experiences as it relates, in my opinion, to trauma, but we'll let her, you know, kind of discern her definition of and share a little bit if we can talk about some of our issues and how we have been able to overcome them or as we overcome, because it's a process, maybe we can help others. And I'm thrilled to death. And I want to, without further ado, Jen Salk, I'd like to introduce our listeners to you and vice versa. Jen is a local friend of ours here in South Florida. But again, she is a listener of the show and she's a native Midwesterner, but here she is in South Florida. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let Jen introduce herself. And Jen, thanks for joining Dr. Boca and I this morning. Well, thanks so much. I'm so excited. I didn't get my, you're not going to sing my name. <laughs> Jen Salk, welcome to Unpolished Therapy. We probably have no listeners Oh now. my God, <laughs> this is going down so quickly. You've just scared them all away. Right? Know, right? So yeah, I don't sing. So yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here. You guys know I like, love your show. I'm so excited to be here and share and hopefully something I share will help somebody. So I grew up in the Midwest. Lori and I actually went to the same college. Yeah, and we, oh, I think awesome. we actually over for yeah. a couple of years. You're not as oh, old as I you love think that. you are. But a lot of my trauma happened before that. My dad got sick when I was about six years old. And he was, he owned like a check cashing store. And 
somebody had come in and set the place on fire. He suffered a lot of internal burns and stuff like that. I'm going to say the story kind of like fast because, but mm. basically two years later, after kind of like a lot of suffering, mm. he had surgery to remove a lung because he had a lot of breathing issues. Mm-hmm. So they said like removing the lung would really help. And he had the surgery and right after he suffered a stroke. Mm. So that was when I was in third grade. So, and then we all have kids. A lot of us have kids and, you know, could kind of like imagine what an eight-year-old. Yeah, six years old, eight years old, third grade, first grade. That's looking back now, that's like even younger than a kid. That's like a kitty kid kid, you know, that I wouldn't even know how you could process something like that. So talk about trauma. That's big time. I'm so sorry to hear that. Go ahead. My mom was sick at the same time. My dad was in the fire. My mom also was in the same hospital, like crazy with a brain tumor. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. So at the time- Who was taking care of you? Right. So grandparents. Okay. Grandparents like flew in from Florida to to, like my dad's parents flew in to come help. Okay. At that time. Um, But my dad, after the stroke, was like in and out of hospitals and rehabs and stuff like that. And then he just kind of suffered a lot after he had had cerebral hemorrhages. And I mean, I just saw a lot of like really awful stuff that like no one should have to see. No one should have to see it, let alone a child have to go through that. And the, and your father continuously keeps suffering. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's cruel to have to go through that process. I'm sorry. Jen, one of the things that kind of just quickly swept through my mind as you were explaining this was, I wonder at that age to have to be subject to something like this, do you feel as though... Th- your childhood was like stunted right then and there. Like even though you're a kid, all of a sudden you're thrown into this mix of real adult serious issues that to some degree, you're not a child anymore. Oh yeah. I mean, that didn't come up until like later in life, actually Mm -hmm. until like recently where I probably realized like I didn't really get the childhood right should have had. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's where, you know, and I didn't, I didn't get the dad I should have had or the mom or an all fairness to my mom, like for what she was faced with, you know, she was 40 years old when she lost her husband with two 12 year olds and a 14 year old. So yeah, but I learned a lot from when I realized that and I could be the mom that I didn't have. So I've like learned other things like as I, as I realized that, that like, instead of dwelling on the fact that, you know, because I can't go back and change childhood, Mm -hmm. right? Can't go back. I could focus on what I could do, right? I could be the mom I never had. So let's just back up for a minute, because you said earlier that it's only until recently that you started putting some of these pieces together, which I imagine, you know, with real therapy. But if your father passed away when you were a young teenager and you're first realizing some of these issues now and connecting the dots, can you walk us through what your issues became in between losing your dad and realizing, hey, I need to get some help here and straighten myself out? So childhood, you know, my dad went into a nursing home. He died. He was in a nursing home. It was super scary, you know, yeah. as you imagine probably going to visit him. No 12-year-old, 14-year-old, any child should really have to go visit their parent there. But he passed away and it was almost like it was over winter break and it was almost like we went back to school. He died December 26th and he went back to, you know, January, whatever school started and we went back to school and it was like, 
Was it like you guys just like swept it under the rug because your mom was also not well or had she recovered by that? She had had another brain tumor November. So my dad died December of 84. My mom had a brain tumor November of 84. Again. Oh my gosh. Okay. So here you are, this teen, right? With It sounds like there's another one, so it must be a brother or mm-hmm. sister, right? We're going through this. You have a mother who's sick and she's in the hospital while you are just came out of having surgery, I assume, and then to lose your father, to go right back into school. Was there ever a time from that point to, you know, leaving for college, at least, where we sat down, we kind of processed all of this, we went into therapy? Like, how was it handled? I mean, because this is a lot that is thrown on a... You you know, a 12 and a 14 year old's plate and your mom's plate also. But that, you know, we were talking about that abandonment piece. You know, you have your dad leaving you, your mom potentially leaving you and left you for some time while she was in the hospital. What happened to the all the emotions that were going on? So this is the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. This is the 80s where it's not today. We did try. We went to like a Jewish family services, mm-hmm. um, which and I just remember sitting there and not talking Yeah, mm-hmm. a couple of times. So all those feelings, everything, just pushed everything down. Mm. Just got, I think, stuff down as like, deep as it could, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had friends that I talked to, but not really about the feelings. It was more like the factual stuff, mm-hmm. if, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Like, it's easier you know, that way. Yeah, it was easier that way. And even when I went to college, you know, it was more like, yeah, he was, you know, this happened on this date or this happened. But about the feelings, like I never was really able to get that stuff out. Do you think you knew what those feelings were or because you were so young, my guess is you hadn't been exposed to anything that traumatic to date. Were you able to pinpoint even internally to yourself when you were alone in your room at night or not? I think I like numbed it. Like I think right. I numbed a lot of it. I never really okay. fully grieved, you know, mm-hmm. I know it never helped me really grieve. I did try. So my sister, of course, so this is just like two people could live in the same house with two things and experience things so differently. So she did process everything. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Jen, you need to like go talk to someone. You need to go talk to someone. So here I am at Wisconsin going, I'm like, she's like, you have to go. So I like went and I like checked that off list. I'm like, okay, I went. And I went once and I was like, this is not for me, you know, or whatever. Like I cried the whole entire time. And, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Then I graduated and I was like, okay, you know, there's something here to be dealt with basically. Sure. And I lived in New York city and I was like, I'm going to try again. And a couple people, and there was just no, nothing really felt the connection, mm-hmm. but I knew still that like there was something. Was happened. your mom alive at the time? Was she okay? Oh, she's yeah, still, still alive now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. She's alive. All right. So can I ask a question, Jen? Um, sure. So if I knew you, let's say, at Wisconsin or in mm-hmm. New York City or even in high schools after this happened, what would I have seen versus what you were really experiencing internally or what would be the normal, the quote-unquote normal reaction that one would anticipate somebody would be having after all of these experiences? That's a good question. Um, so I think like more in high school, I was more definitely like quiet and shy and I was like super, super sensitive. Mm. Um, I mean, even before my dad died, I was like really quiet and shy. I just remember like I was scared of dogs and I was like would cry if I even saw a dog, you know, I would cry. So my name is Jennifer. I would cry if someone called me Jennifer. I just was like super sensitive. <laughs> not always. Okay. So that obviously that's not me anymore. <laughs> But, you know, I think like in college, I kind of like 
left my mom, left that, like left that like kind of like icky environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the best. You know, there was just a lot going on there that was not so great. So I left and it was like, I made like real friendships. And um, did a part of you feel as though, and maybe it's like being a Monday morning quarterback when you're in the moment, maybe you don't think about it, but do you feel as though leaving for college and leaving the quote unquote, like scene of the crime, you could start fresh, you could start over if you'd already pushed down those feelings and you weren't dealing with it. It's kind of like maybe out of sight, out of mind, I'm going to start over. I'm going to reinvent myself and everything will be okay until I guess it's not. I don't know if that happened because Mm-hmm. The feelings were still pushed down. Honestly, like the feelings really did. Even though like when I met my husband, like he knows everything about me. So he still knows my feelings, but it was still like those, I guess it's really just. I see you struggling to find the word yeah. and, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there's feelings in there. But a lot of times when people go through something very traumatic, we stuff them down so much that we detach from them. And mm-hmm. so what happens is we can intellectually talk about the experience. We can right. t- give the facts, like you said before, and then something will happen and we'll have a reaction, a- an emotion inside of us that kind of gets triggered. And we don't mm-hmm. necessarily know why it's happening at such a, you know, at a heightened state than what the situation warrants, or you'll be sitting by yourself. And, you know, when we talk about connection versus abandonment and we're sitting by ourselves and all of a sudden something will get triggered in us, a sadness will overcome us. And we don't really understand where it's coming from. And we can intellectually put together, oh, this must be from the death of my parent or what have you, but we're not in touch with that feeling necessarily. We can't put words to it or it doesn't come up in the situation it's supposed to come up with. Is that kind of what you're talking about? or? So I'll tell you what happened. So I saw it there. So we moved to Florida and, you know, I saw a therapist for a little bit and that wasn't right. And I saw a therapist for a long time, like six years. But again, we didn't really get to like anything more than like surface level. Mm. And it was fine. I think she served a purpose for what she served. And and then, you know, the anxiety got higher. It was, you know, my son was diagnosed with a autoimmune disease. And mm. and then I was like, I really need like a better this. Like I really, not a better, but I really need something different maybe. And, um, and then I, I found my therapist, but actually right before my father-in-law had a stroke and it was very triggering. It was like almost like PTSD, I think, Mm -hmm. because it was like so similar to what happened with my dad, like the terminology, the, he, his same, like his left side was paralyzed just like my dad. And it was like, Mm -hmm. my father-in-law became like a dad, you know, he was like a dad to me. So it was just very similar. And like, at one point there was like a patient like screaming in the hospital and it was like, it all brought me back (laughs) to like the nursing home. I want to jump in for a minute for my own selfish reasons, but also for our listeners also. The first thing I want to say um, to the listeners out there, I want to protect Dr. Boga's license. And and I want you all to know that we're, we're talking about some heavy stuff here, trauma, most literally. So if there's anything triggering or whatnot, please just contact your healthcare provider. This is not real therapy. We want to protect everybody's license here. We also want to protect the sensitivity of Jen's story. So that's number one. Number two, though, and I'm going to try to say this as sensitive as I can, albeit unpolished, is is I just want to go back to something because I'm a really literal person. So when we talk about, I push the feelings down, I push the feelings down. I'm trying to understand that in the sense of, And this is where my insensitivity is going to come in. So I'm apologizing in advance. You know how like we make a to-do list, right? 
Okay. And we're doing this, we're doing this. And then there's something on the list. that's like a real pain in the ass and it's really hard. And like, we don't want to deal with it. So we're like, mm, I'm going to ignore that. And I'm going to put that on tomorrow's list and I'll get to it tomorrow. And then I'm not going to do it tomorrow either. So I'm going to move it to the next day. And then the next thing I know, the week has gone by, the month has gone by, seven years have gone by. And I have not done that thing on the list, even though I know I have to, I just don't want to. Is that what you mean by pushing down the feelings and not mm-hmm. understand? Like, first I want Dr. Bogut to explain it with her professional hat on. And then Jen, if you would indulge me, you know, from your personal experience, and again, excuse my ignorance, but this is the way that I kind of dissect things and break down this literal wreckage so that I understand. So no need to apologize. And I can't speak for Jen on that, but to, you know, as a therapist, there's no reason to apologize. People process things very differently. And so for somebody who's hasn't gone through something traumatic or somebody who, uh, you know, happens to be a very highly emotional person and, you know, and that trauma didn't disrupt them the same way it disrupts other people, that would be a normal question to ask because it doesn't make sense. And that's part of the problem with our nervous system when we go through trauma is our nervous system experiences the trauma and it holds on to feeling it activates and that's why a lot of people when they talk about something traumatic we say gets we get triggered you know in mm-hmm. quotes a lot of times that triggering is actually just our nervous system getting activated right because it remembers what that felt like back then Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the first piece of it. So what happens sometimes in trauma is, you know, we talk about people go into, you know, shock, right? And then people kind of go into processes of trying to make sense of or start to control the things that they can't necessarily control. So why I asked Jen before is what would I have seen, right, to like the outside person? How did Jen move forward from that trauma at the time, what it sounds like is Jen kind of went on with her life the best that she could and tried to take in the experiences that she could. And when you have those feelings inside of you and they kind of surface, but there's a party to go to and you want to be able to have fun, you kind of just ignore what your body is telling you. You kind of ignore that sensation. And when you get so good at doing that, Mm -hmm. okay, you kind of don't even know that you're reacting anymore or that those feelings are there anymore. And you just kind of go through your day, like you said, the the to-do list, and you just Mm -hmm. kind of go. What happens though over time, and this is, I think, from what Jen is saying, when her father-in-law got sick, our nervous system remembers this, okay? And our body gets the sensations and gets the experiences that we've had previously. And it remembers those unresolved feelings better than we do because we've developed a life around those feelings, right? And so that's when people get defensive or people develop, you know, drinking problems or eating disorders or gambling addictions or dysfunctional relationships. Those are just all ways to keep people and ourselves away from those yucky feelings because you're right, nobody wants to do those tasks, right? They, nobody wants to feel those feelings, so we detach from them. Well, when you have a triggering event, your body remembers that. And there's an excellent book out there that our listeners, if you've never read it, it's called The Body Keeps Score. And it talks about all of this, about how your body kind of remembers all the early traumas that we have. We've developed mechanisms in our brain to adapt to those traumas, but our body remembers them. So what happens is when you get quote unquote triggered, you go through something like that, our nervous system gets reactivated the same way as it did back then. And then it's much harder to kind of ignore it because it's literally screaming. So Rachel, when we had Elisa on and she talked about the soul knocking yeah, right, or whispering, I think is the yeah. word she used. Yeah. 
and then eventually it like starts to scream over yeah. time, right? It's the same thing. Like originally you can kind of stuff it and kind of go on with your day. But then when you get re-triggered, it gets so loud inside of you. Or when your son gets sick, it gets so loud and brings you back and you start to have those experiences and flashbacks. It's much harder to deny that those feelings are there. So, so that was good. And I want Jen to speak to that too. The question I bringing up in my head as you were explaining this really to Jen, but you kind of just answered it, is if her father-in-law hadn't fell ill and that trigger didn't happen, would Jen not have seek the help she really needed. But then you kind of just answered it because if her son had gotten sick or like at some point or you was like, there's going to be a trigger at some point or can someone go their whole life and not have a trigger to bring up what you've repressed? The Crohn's diagnosis like really gave me high anxiety and a daughter starting college and just a lot going on. So regardless if he got sick or not, I was seeking a new therapist. Okay. And so within one of our first sessions, um, she did an exercise with me. It was like a self-compassion exercise, which I think is like very, she told me like, cause I'm like so fascinated that this happened. And Dr. Boca might know about this because I think it's something that people do, some therapists do if you to see if like there's trauma. This was Kristen Neff exercise. I don't even remember, but I could not stop crying. It was like something like the floodgates just were opened up and all these years and years and years of tears just started pouring out of me. A self-compassion exercise. Self-compassion Kristen Neff, I believe is Kristen Neff. Dr. Boca, write that down. We're going to do it together off air. Oh, off air? Okay. I'm glad we're doing it off air rather than on air. (laughs) Um, You don't want to know about my traumas. (laughs) But all right, Jen, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. And that was really what started. And I like, I cried. I couldn't start crying. I don't, it's like all kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. But um, I left. I like cry, called her from the parking lot crying. Like, mm-hmm. and that was it. And then we went into COVID. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we went into lockdown. So I really only met her a handful of times in her office. Mm-hmm. So I still was like super emotional. And I was just like, what's going on with me? Like, mm-hmm. I never, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just. Do you think that was like, you know how they say this is going to sound so cliche and, you know, we, always say here on the corner of audacity and advice, we can't stand cliches. But do you feel as though that breakdown was your breakthrough to at least say, wow, there's been something hanging out in the bottom of my belly here and I've got to understand this? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I knew that like my body or whatever was waiting for me to meet my therapist, like everything, Mm -hmm. I think like everything had to align Mm. And I think that just like everything was like, but the timing, I really don't know because I'm not like hokey or anything like, but I feel like just everything was, my body was ready. I was ready. I was at a good place. Like I have the support at home. I have a wonderful husband. And And how about the fact that the whole world was slowed down and could not move at the same pace and velocity as we knew it to be pre-COVID? So being in this COVID bubble, again, too, maybe it was the perfect storm in the best possible way for you to finally find the sunshine. Right. So, you know, it's actually weird that we're sitting here because this is where I did a lot of the Zoom sessions here mm. in this spot right here where like I went through boxes of tissues, wow. boxes and boxes of tissues because, you know, um, you were speaking about abandonment. 
Mm -hmm. And I went through like this huge abandonment. Um, You know, I I realized I have a huge abandonment wound is what it is. Mm. And um, before we can even really like start doing a lot of the other work, like healing a lot of the other work, we had to really work on healing this abandonment wound. And I talk about it because I feel like a lot of people don't know about abandonment wounds and stuff like that. And I feel like when I do talk about it, and people are like, you're not alone, you know, like, it's more common than you think. And thank you for sharing. So that's why like, I'm open to talking about it. Because it's the hard, it was the hardest thing for me to work on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not fun. Um, it's but it's super, super hard to heal. And it's like, just crazy for me the way it showed up. Yeah, it and just so you know, Jen, I mean, I'm so humbled by the fact that you are such an advocate now and speaking your story because that in and of itself for a shy young girl who had gone through the traumas that you have gone through, a lot of people would shut down and never want to put it out to the world. So kudos to you for all the work that you've done. And thank you for sharing the story with us and with our listeners. But abandonment is really at the core of almost every single thing that we as humans endure. Because if we think about it, we as humans are destined and or conditioned, I guess, to be connected. And so to go back to Rachel's word early on, we are, that's how we're wired, right? We seek connection. And if you think about it from as pure as when you're inside your mother's belly, right, you are connected through an umbilical cord and everything that she does affects you. So just by virtue of that, and then we come through the the birth canal in theory, unless you had C-sections like I did, but you come through the birth canal and what's the first thing they do? They disconnect you from your primary person. And so by definition, like that already starts this need for connection and those feelings of abandonment. So everybody on some level has experience with abandonment And then when you start to couple it on top of another traumatic abandonment, on top of another traumatic abandonment, it's so common. And it's such an important thing that we just acknowledge it and give voice to it and and normalize some of it and work through when it becomes to a level that is creating disconnect and fears and anxieties in our life. So thank you for speaking it because yes, it's real and it's pervasive and lots and lots and lots of people go through it and choose not to deal with it. So what was happening is I finally, I guess, had, I was able to talk and share and I had someone listening to me and helping me. And really, I guess what it was is somebody was helping that like inner child. Yeah. And um, so that inner child, now this was all like for me. I never knew from inner child. I never knew from any of this. This inner child was getting super attached to my therapist. Sure. And um, reparenting. Yeah. 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 And I was terrified that she was going to abandon me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to work on that for about a year (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I was having a hard time in between, or the little girl. Um, was having a hard time, like in between sessions, mm-hmm. um, like worried that like she was going to get mad and going to want to stop seeing me, or going to just something was going to happen during COVID, and she was, you know, going to maybe stop practicing, or going to go just just be with her kids, or just like all well, I would tell myself horrible stories 
And she gave me no sign. Just like let me just say, she's amazing. She's like, Lori, I'm sure you're amazing. <laughs> this she's helped me like I, that. I'm even sharing this is like says how amazing she is because <laughs> you know. But she's wonderful and like that. You know, she gave me no signs. Like it was, just, mm-hmm. it was all me. Like just completely, just you know, because I was, I just was had this terrible abandonment fear well it was based on it what you knew her. but it and was like, dr boca wouldn't you say though that that is and not to undermine jen's real fear of being abandoned by the therapist but wouldn't you say though that in your practice um or in your industry too i don't mean your specific practice mm-hmm. your patients but that is a common thing like you know we always talk about transference mm-hmm. or this attachment in and of itself that i would think that jen your therapist therapist probably was trying to say over and over, like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, you're good. I got you. But she doesn't give you that much reassurance because, you know, healthy reassurance, but like, you know, um, too much reassurance. That's what I wanted. I wanted all the reassurance. I Mm -hmm. wanted her to say, no, I'm not mad at you. Because I would be like, Mm -hmm. are you mad? Are you mad? I mean, I would want to text her and call her and have her call me and text me back and email me. And I mean, I would write these long emails, like I have these long emails that I would not send, but I would like want to email her and ask her like, and it was, you would see them. And like, I mean, I would show them if I could, but like, it was these emails and it was this little girl writing them. Mm-hmm. And be like, are you mad? 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 It was like an angel writing, you know, mm-hmm. it was not me. It was like this yeah. little inner child writing and, and begging, like, begging you know her to just say like no I'm not mad at you like everything's okay and that's all I wanted was like this reassurance you know so how does and I guess I mean it literally because I am literal and I don't know if we can talk about this but like when you say and that took a year for us to work through like what does that even mean like how do you work through that are there methods were there different practices, like exercises, breathing, journaling, like what were the things that she would have you do so that you could then on your proverbial sheet of tasks, finally cross off. Okay. I've mastered this. I I don't feel abandoned by her. I know she's not quote unquote mad at me. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I would have like panic attacks almost, Mm -hmm. you know, like in between sessions thinking like maybe creating a story in my head. So we, we put together like a toolbox, you know, mm-hmm. an at home toolbox for the anxiety. Cause it was really, the anxiety was related to the abandonment. It was like something would trigger. And if I didn't, it was how I responded to the trigger. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's still like, if something triggers, it's just really, it's how we're responding to the trigger. So some of the things that we would work on, and I didn't even know how to take a deep breath, mm-hmm. you know? So it was just a lot of just things like, you know, whether they were apps for meditation, like even a one minute meditation. I mean, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even take a deep breath. So if it was a one minute meditation, just like mindful breathing, like, you know, doing a mindful walk outside and just looking at the trees for one and just looking at the trees, like as I walked, just to like keep my mind off of something else, coloring, Mm -hmm. you know, just Play-Doh. I mean, things for the senses. Like if I did start getting things like you know if I couldn't get you know start getting those worrisome thoughts like we do like the rainbow thinking where I would look for two red things in the room and two orange things and Mm -hmm. two yellow things keep going I just and two green things two blue things two purple things and just like grounding exercises which I'm Mm -hmm. sure you do a lot of also and 
you know, I had like a sensory little kit where I'd put in like something to smell and mm-hmm. something to touch and something to, like I made a music list and yep. just, you know, things like that. I mean, instead of sending the text or sending the email, I would work on drafting it all. I mean, I'm like a different person. I just have to say. So like all this, like healing is possible. Like I, I feel like I always like have to say like, I'm such a different person right now. Like I don't have this with her anymore, really. Like she goes on vacations a lot. Her kids are now in, in um, she has little kids, like a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. So she goes on a lot of vacations. Like she just mm-hmm. went skiing last week. And so it, it pops up. She has to tell me in advance when she's going away. And I start crying because I do worry, like I'm coming back, you know, and it's just my normal questions that come up, but we base it then on our, on our relationship and on the trust. And I have no reason not to trust her, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, what's interesting to me, um, Jen, you may not know this about me, although, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you do, but Dr. Boga, what I was thinking about now is because I am such an all or none kind of person, right? And my shtick is trying to strike a balance with all things in my life. Mm -hmm. But what I find absolutely remarkable about you, Jen, is that to have this type of struggle, we'll call it, right? To bear this kind of burden for so many years to the point that you're crying if your therapist is going to go away. The fact that I'm assuming you're able to compartmentalize the feelings of just being stifled or paralyzed because all throughout you've been a successful mother and you've been a wife and you're someone in our community that gets up in the morning and goes to work and you you seemingly have a fulfilled thriving life and yet you've been dealing with something that is just so heavy and i think that's what is so unbelievable to me and maybe that's just my unpolishedness coming out because I can't imagine how you can have it together in so many areas and yet feel like you're lost for a lack of a better reason, or there's so much inner child that needs to be healed at the same time. Well, I'm sure Dr. Boga would agree. Like, and I and I feel like this is also part of my message is that you could struggle, you could have your struggles and and be successful like you yeah. could have a great life and be struggling too like yeah. you know that's why you never know what someone's going through and i would say to you jen that oftentimes it's the most successful people who have channeled those stuffed down feelings right mm-hmm. into productive things for unconscious reasons. So for instance, we become successful and then we can take care of ourselves. So we won't be quote unquote abandoned, right? Or if we're focusing on, and I'm not saying Jen did this by any means, but many, many people do. If we are successful, then we have our business to focus on to detach us from some of those feelings. Other people who go through these types of traumas, they compartmentalize it because if they look perfect on the outside, people will like them. If they are people pleasers, people will be drawn to them and not leave them. So a lot of times it is those people that are the successful overachieving, look like they have everything together that are actually the most broken or wounded or 
traumatized or struggling individuals out there. And so we, like Jen said, we can't judge or don't, we don't know what people are struggling with. I think you just proved it, Rachel, when you said like, oh my God, you're like a functioning member of society and you do all of these things, right? When somebody's going through something, especially PTSD, trauma, anxiety, all of those things, part of their way of coping or mm-hmm. keeping keeping the house of cards from falling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is to present as though they're doing fine. And it's almost like a fake it till you make it until you can't fake it anymore because you get triggered by whether it's your son being sick or you found the right therapist. And I did want to say one other thing. Jen, thank you for saying the fact that you went through a lot of therapists before you found this special therapist. I want our listeners to hear that. I know that this is frustrating, but the curative factor in therapy, and I think I've said this once before, but it's such an important thing. The curative factor in therapy is the relationship between the therapist and the patient. Okay. And so somebody can come to me. Jen could have come to me. I mean, if she didn't know me, but she could have come to me and she could think I'm fine as a therapist. But if we don't build the relationship, it's going to stay stagnant. It's going to stay superficial. It may achieve what we need to achieve at that time. But I can tell you that if Jen didn't find the therapist, not that had the right tools in the toolbox, that's an added bonus, but somebody that she could be vulnerable with and feel as though that person was going to be there for her or was able to handle whatever those feelings were, that's when you're going to open up. That's when you're going to do all the hard work. Okay. But guess what though? The thing that I find so unbelievable then, it makes perfect sense that until you really connect with the therapist, you're not going to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you really do feel like you can trust whoever this person is, it kind of makes sense that then I would be freaking out if my therapist is going to fire me or if I'm going to be too much or if they're going to go on vacation and not come back. I would be a wreck. And again, I selfishly, I keep thinking about my own scenarios that no wonder I'm relieved when my therapist says, I have to cancel this week or (laughs) I was exposed to COVID or we're traveling. Me, I'm internally saying like, oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that this week because Mm -hmm. we don't have that bond. We don't have that connection. And I guess what that says to me is I'm really not digging deep enough or I'm not vulnerable enough because to me, it's like, I'm so excited that I don't have to open up this week. Right. And I'm going to say to you, Rach, like it doesn't necessarily happen the first time you meet the therapist. You got to go in there. You got to dabble in it. And, and in a way, many patients set us up in the best of ways. You know, I always say to my patients, what's happening out there gets reenacted in here right? Meaning inside the therapy room. So they set us up in a way that we understand what's going on in their life. So for instance, Rach, if you are relieved that your therapist is going on vacation, (laughs) okay, most likely you're guarded in the session. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that's a bad relationship. I'm going to say you're communicating to me that you have a distrust of this relationship or you are not willing to be vulnerable and you're not willing to let down your guard to develop emotional intimacy. So I, as the therapist, would have to work towards that. 
by building trust, by being mm-hmm. reliable, by being attentive to the things that you're saying, to realize that this is a core issue for you. So I'm not going to say something hostile to you, right, where you're going to then use that against me. Or in Jen's case, she knows ahead of time when the therapist is going to go away because that would minimize the chances of distrust developing in that relationship. So I want our listeners to hear that just because you're not comfortable talking about these things when you first walk in, it doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. It Mm. can develop over time as you become more comfortable. Therapy is a very anxiety-producing situation. It takes time. Okay, so let me ask you, but but first to Jen, you mentioned that it took you a while, you know, you got to go through a lot of bad seeds before you get to the good one relative to the right therapist. For someone who was struggling trying to find your way, I give you credit for having the courage to know that the therapists you were working with weren't working. So what was your final straw? Not with every single one of them, but in general, where you said, you know what, I'm spinning my wheels here and I have to move on. Because I would think that would be anxiety producing to try to do the work, but to then realize the needle's not moving. Well, I think like with the one who I saw for a long period of time, when I knew what, when I knew I would talk to other friends, I guess a lot of my friends were in therapy and, and, you know, and they would, we would talk, you know, not about what we talked about, but just about like our therapists in general. And I knew I just didn't have the connection that I was looking for, you know, again, when she would tell me she couldn't make it or like kind of how you're talking about, I just, I was like, okay, no, no big deal. As long as you're way, you're way. Like she's like going to Europe. I'm like, okay, no, no big mm-hmm. deal. And I guess I, thought that was weird. I don't know. I was like, wanted to miss it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to go, I wanted to like miss it. I wanted to feel like I was, you know, I, I'm doing it so that I become the best version of myself for, for me, for my relationships, you know, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really, I was like little things, you know, she was giving me like little, little tiny things that I was little nuggets, away. little mm-hmm. things. One of the things that I also want to say is, you know, what you said before, Jen, everything kind of aligned, right? It was like the perfect Mm -hmm. storm. Sometimes the relationship is there. We're just not at that place where we we think we're committed in the therapeutic process. We think we want to change. What we've all come to see is it's much easier to stay the way that we are, right? And so a lot of people come into therapy thinking they want to change and then their hand gets put on that stove and they're like, oh, ouch, that burns. I don't want to go there. And so in that process, the relationship also gets affected. So it's a dance here for sure. And sometimes it really is. I don't feel that connection and this is not the right fit. And other times it's, hey, it could be the right fit, but she just said something or he just said something to me that hit me in a place and I don't want to work through it because I know I'm going to get really uncomfortable. And therefore, I have to find somebody at this space and time that isn't going to put me in that uncomfortable position right away until we build up that trust. So it's actually interesting. So you know, I was telling her yesterday that I was doing this and we were going to talk about, you know, all sorts of things. And yesterday we were talking about prior to that. So she's, you know, since right before COVID or COVID, you know, she went into Zoom mm-hmm. and she's been building an office so that she we could see in person. And I've been asking about this office, you know, because of my abandonment, all this, I've been like so excited to like see her in person. And, you know, it's, we've been talking about this a lot. Like I almost all the time I ask for an update, like what's going on with your office? What's going on with your office? And so it's, it's coming up soon. 
And now I'm super worried about seeing her in person. I have this now anxiety about like seeing her in person. I'm like worried she's not going to like me in person. So like, it's just so interesting how this is showing up. And I have no reason to think this, but I'm going back to the feeling from before COVID. And it was like so new. And I was such a different person then. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking like, not that she never didn't like me. Like we have such a good therapeutic relationship where we've had very serious conversations. Like I've gotten mad at her and like, you know, we've talked through things and I've learned that like you could get mad at someone and they don't stop talking to you and mm-hmm. all this stuff that like, you know, just really, really like, you know, just major stuff, but she's going to this office and, you know, it's just causing anxiety, which like, why is it? It's like, you just never know what's going to show up. What's so amazing about that, Jen, is you can see it, you can recognize it. And before it would have debilitated you or dysregulated you at such a great degree. And now that you have the tools, right, you're able to go back to that inner child because this is way before COVID. This is from your early experiences that you shared with us. And so that inner child just needs some reassurance that she's going to be okay and she's going to be able to get through this and we're going to use all of our tools. But me, big Jen, who's in her 50s, now she is capable and sees it and understands it and is right there with that inner child. And so between that and the reassurance and the resiliency, you are capable of getting through it. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get triggered. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get dysregulated. It just means that we now have the ability to see it and not have to go all the way down the mountain and start all over again. We can kind of pick ourselves right up where we started to feel that and continue up the mountain. So kudos to you. And if you hadn't seen it before, which I know you did, but if you hadn't, there's the progress and there's how far you've come. And I want to dovetail off of that, kind of bringing it all full circle to how we started this episode today about trauma in and of itself, that the experience that was once outmatched by your coping ability or the lack of, now you have met your match and you are able to use these tools in your toolbox to cope with more efficiency. And the little tip of the day, if you will, that I want to kind of throw out to you, Jen, I want Dr. Dwoka to tell me how smart I am after Mm -hmm. I give this little tip, but I want to also pay homage to where I got it because it's they're not my words, but something that I learned from the episode I was mentioning about these two therapists that were talking about trauma was as we learn and grow how to cope better, right? And we're dealt a hand that feels anxiety producing. We look at the the scenario as, is this uncomfortable for me or is this unmanageable for me? Because Mm -hmm. there's a really big difference. And I suspect that someone who is not able to have the correct tools to cope appropriately and appropriately as defined by not having a nervous breakdown, let's say, right? Um, It would feel unmanageable. I absolutely Mm -hmm. cannot manage this scenario versus getting the help, seeking the help, finding someone that you trust, going through the process and trusting yourself to go through the process to then be able to look at it with a different lens to say, hang on a minute. I can manage it. It doesn't mean it's comfortable. This is still Mm -hmm. really uncomfortable for me, but I'm able to discern between the two. I'm able to use these techniques 
and I'm going to get through it. And my big takeaway from that too, as it relates to anxiety, whether it's us as adults, whether it's our inner child, whether it's our own children who are going through anxiety in their youth and how we help them manage that is being uncomfortable is okay. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the essence of our podcast, Dr. Boca, that that this unpolished piece, this uncomfortable piece that we want to take ownership of that and learn ways to, as you've said graciously this year in 2023, to make some meaning out of the mess or the madness. And in this case, that madness or mess is being uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Not completely derailing to a place that it's unmanageable, but being okay and being kind to ourselves to say, I'm uncomfortable, but how can I learn from this? How can I grow? And how can I put the pieces of the puzzle together? And I'm okay in that uncomfortableness or discomfort, I think is actually Mm -hmm. the right word, but I'm okay. And I think that Jen, what you talked about, all those mindfulness exercises that you do, it's so important because it grounds us and it lets us know, listen, this is uncomfortable. This is hard, but we are, we are, we are here. We are alive. We are dealing, we are managing, we are okay. And if you go to that inner child and reassure that inner child, the part that I wanted to point out that's so fascinating to me is we talk about this abandonment from others, but really what hap- what happens here is we abandon ourselves. That's that inner child's work. We've abandoned ourselves and we have to reconnect and show up for ourselves and Relove and and give ourselves that self compassion to that inner child, so that they know they're okay and they're safe. Because when they're safe, we're safe, and when we're safe, we can help our children regulate and everybody else around us feel safe and regulate. So, speaking on that, a huge thing that actually got me through it was like the self talk, and I used actually like pink post it notes, and I wrote over and over and over until it it stuck with me. I mean, really, this is what helped it stick with me. I just said it over and over that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Like I'm struggling, but I'm okay. Or I'm sad, but I'm okay. Or this is scary and I'm okay. Mm. And I wrote it over and over and over. I took a picture. I had it on my screensaver. I had it in my mirror in my bathroom. I am okay. And I just kept telling myself that, you know, and she told me, she's like, it will stick. Yeah. And And I love that you just shared that with our listeners because in essence, that is the reassurance you were looking for from your therapist. And now you can give it to yourself. And that's the reassurance that you give your inner child who then realizes, hey, we're 50 now. We're not six, seven, 15, whatever those ages were where we experienced this. We have our own parent here reassuring us and we don't need it from other people. So it's such a beautiful exercise that you did. And I'm so happy that it worked for you and it resonated with you and you internalized that because that's such a powerful healing part of the process. So kudos again to you. I know I keep saying it, but it really, it's so amazing because when I work with patients, I don't necessarily get to see them on the other side. I do the work with them and then we part ways and they go off into the sunset, so to speak, and they don't necessarily come back and share all the positive things that have occurred and how they've gone through it. And and I've seen it in the work that they've done, but then they go on and lead their lives and you don't know if they stay where they are or they fall down again or if they're able to get back up. So it really is amazing to hear your story and how far you've come. Thank you. I'm in it for life. I'm like, I told my therapist. <laughs> Jen, I'm in it for life. 
don't go anywhere. <laughs> As we wind up now, um, you know, at the end of our session here, can you give our listeners maybe just like three top tips if they're struggling, whether it's the same type of trauma or whatever they define trauma to be in their world? What, what are three big things that you feel you do in your continued healing process that have helped you that, as you say, this is forever, you're going to continue to do that maybe our listeners could gain some wisdom from? Sure. Yeah. I mean, don't give up. Like, like I was 47 when I, you know, found the right therapist and when, when I made that connection. Um, so if you're thinking of, of starting therapy, it's never too late to start. You could be any age and start. And, you know, there's many resources and I'm sure you guys could share many resources to help them find. Um, so definitely, or, um, that would be really important. And so, you know, she would always say, like, focus on self-care this weekend. And I was like, self-care? Like, what is, I never knew what self-care was. And I thought, like, self-care was, like, going to get a man. Like, I really right. didn't know. <laughs> right. You know, it's not. It's not self, self-care. So, yeah, focus on self-care. Like, that's really important. So those are, like, the meditations or rest. Like, listen to your body. Rest mm-hmm. when you need to. Like, go for walks. Like, put your phone down. Whatever it is that works for you. Because those are all things that help. And, you know talk to have a friend to talk to or you know like I also I needed to open up to other people like Mm -hmm. I had to have that friend that I trusted you know I was struggling in between and you know friends could be a really good source of to help you know so if you you know I'm not saying open up to everybody right find somebody that you're comfortable sharing with whether it's family or friends and and how about also be kind to yourself right yeah I think that goes with self-care probably right okay kind to yourself right like we're all about kindness right like I I think last week was like random act of kindness day and I shared like in my stories like different acts of kindness but like I also was like be kind to yourself right Mm -hmm. like don't forget about yourself yeah no self-abandonment I think we forget about that like I never was kind I never knew about like being kind to myself showing myself compassion I that was all like foreign to me for 47 years so if you would allow on the bottom of our podcast episode, when we put in the notes, I'd like to link in your pages. Any of our listeners want to follow you directly or if they have any questions for you privately or whatnot, I'm hoping that you will be open to that because I know your goal, of course, was to share your story, even in the hopes that you touched one person who maybe is struggling or has struggled and doesn't have that friend to talk to. So um, with your permission, I'd like to link your information. Sure. Absolutely. Feel free to reach out. I mean, exactly. That's why I open up and share. That's like really reason I decided to at first. So amazing. Amazing. Dr. Boca, final thoughts? Well, like I said, through the whole thing, Jen, thank you. Both as a, just a lay person and as a therapist, it is always inspiring to hear people who have gone through the process. You are not alone. We've all gone through a lot of similar experiences, whether it's with our own therapists, whether it's in our families of, you know, of origin, whether it's trauma in a different, you know, big T, little T, however we're going to try, you know, using Rachel's definition today, you know, we all have difficulties coping with certain things and it may not be what the other person has a difficulty with, but it's still ours and it's ours alone. And so many people don't do it. They don't do the work. They don't work through it. And you are a testament to that therapy can work. 
There's all different kinds of therapy. Some resonate with some versus others, but what it all comes down to is that relationship. And I will argue that it's the relationship with self that is the most important. And we develop that um, relationship with self through other people often to have that corrective experience so that we understand what it's like to experience positive relationships, to be loved, to be cared for, so that we then know how to do that to our inner child. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. And to our listeners, I encourage all of you, as Jen said, give it a shot. It's never too late. You don't have to live with this anxiety. You don't have to live with these fears. You don't have to live with this discomfort at such a level that it's interfering in your ability to parent or your ability to work or be in a successful relationship. It is hard work though. I'm not going to lie, but you will be better off for it. And so I encourage you all to find somebody. If you have difficulties finding somebody, you can always reach out to us on unpolishedtherapy.com. Nope. Is that it? I think so. Well, that's the website, unpolishedtherapy.com, but our email is unpolishedtherapy at gmail. Thank you. Thank you. And that is why Rachel's here as well, because she keeps me grounded (laughs) and keeps me on the ball so that I don't have to get anxious about the technical stuff that I don't know anything about. But reach out to us or reach out to Jen. And Jen, you know, has offered herself as an ear or to help guide in any way that she can. And, you know, we appreciate that, Jen, as well, for you to be such an advocate. So thank you. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for being here with us. So yeah, everyone, get your pink post-it note. You are okay. (laughs) Jen, you are definitely okay. Every day, we get more and more okay. And and it's okay to sometimes not Not feel okay, right? Um, Now that's a tongue twister. But with that being said, I'm so happy that both of you were with us this morning on the corner of audacity and advice. My wheels got spun upside down. I know Dr. Bogas did too. And always, um, Jen, I hope yours didn't too much, but we really do appreciate your candidness, your vulnerability, sharing your story with us and our listeners. We will link all of your information on the bottom of our episode notes. But with that being said, from me, Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boga, we are in gratitude that you spent your Wednesday morning with us and we look forward to next week on the corner of audacity and advice where we ditch the couch, grab the mics. We break down all the unpolished wreckage. Jen Salk, thanks for hanging out with us today. I always say a guest of the show is a friend of the show. Once a friend, always a friend. You're welcome back anytime. I wish you continued you. success, good health, happiness. You too. Um, That's a good thanks. Thank you guys. All right. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Sayonara. It's been re- another week of unpolished therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.